Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast. I've got a very special guest of mine, uh, one that I'm I'm really excited to talk with, um, one that that kind of i don't want to i don't want to use the wrong verbiage and and offend you but one that kind of just runs the elk hunting world um (laughs) (laughs) we have mr Corey jacobson Corey, how are you man i'm doing great thanks so much for inviting me to be on now if you don't know who Corey is um you've kind of just been living underneath a rock um but Corey, give us a quick introduction to yourself man yeah, no, I'm just a, a regular guy who is irregularly passionate about elk hunting. So, you know, I've uh, I grew up in in elk country, and I think really what opened the door for me was my involvement in the World Elk Calling Championships, and I've been fortunate to win that ten times. And through that, it's just led down a, a rabbit hole of everything elk hunting and created a website, elk101.com, that uh, basically is kind of a hub for everything educational and entertainment related to elk and, and elk hunting. Which is why I love guys that are informational. I love guys that, that help make other people better. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys out there, and, and they're cool to watch, and they do really cool stuff. But, you know, your, your Corey Jacobsons and your John Dudleys, those guys are, are – you guys are, are awesome because you put out the information there um, to help. And, and and might I add, I told him I would add it, uh, Chuck Adams just released his first website. You know, he's, he's kind of never been in that space before. Uh, but Chuck Adams Archery is going to be a very informational type website, um, which I'm incredibly excited about. Because, again, I just love guys who put out information for us to learn uh, that I can that I can watch and grow from. And and uh, I mean. I mean, I could literally start naming names and go all day, but, you know, Rocky Mountain Specialty Gear um, to help me with informational stuff on shooting a recurve and Aaron Schneider on shooting a recurve. I mean, uh, these guys who put out informational stuff, it, it's just vital. And so, Corey, from the bottom of my heart, man, I appreciate what you do uh, oh, because as somebody you. who, as somebody who um, is eager to learn more about elk hunting, uh, elk 101 is a place that i find myself going through often so uh, i appreciate what you do and i and continue to do it man absolutely no and it, it really does it, it combines two of my greatest passions which obviously elk and elk hunting is is uh, one of them but i love to see other people be successful and you know in today's world i think we we get a lot of uh you know i think it comes from jealousy or something but we we feel that if somebody else is successful, it takes away from our success or it takes the the uh, window of, of limelight away from us. And I just feel like, man, especially when it comes to hunting, if somebody else is successful, it does nothing to, to diminish my success or my efforts. And it's just cool to be a, a very small part of helping someone else uh, achieve success or increase success or become more confident or more consistent. And so when you combine the two, it's, uh, it's, it's really, uh, uh, just a pleasure and an honor to be able to be a part of that. Yeah. And I, man, I remember one time I was probably in high school and, uh, there was talk of this monster deer at my grandparents' place and we hunted this deer so hard. And I remember somebody at school, um, it was actually a staff member at school came by and said, Hey, I, I saw that deer that, that runs your grandparents' place. And I was like, Oh yeah, you know, whatever. Um, and he said, he's been coming on my place. And I went home and I told my dad, I'm like, dude, if he shoots that deer, I'm going to be so mad. 
And he said, well, if you're going to be mad if he shoots that deer, then you're not a sportsman and you don't need to be hunting. And I was like, <laughs> and, and I was like, what? Like, what do you mean, Dad? We've hunted this deer for years, for, you know, three, four years now. And uh, and he said, right, but a hunter's success is a hunter's success. And and we need to share in that success with him. And, uh, and you know, I didn't I didn't understand that, you know, until until I started being in a place where I got to really teach and, and show and, and, and help other people learn. And now thinking back on that, now I really understand what my dad meant. And, uh, and it was a valuable lesson at a young age. Absolutely. You know, and I feel the same way when it comes to elk hunting, you know, I grew up hunting by myself or just, you know, high school, college, you, you aren't serious necessarily about your hunting partners. You just want somebody to go with. And so, you know, I'd either hunt alone or with somebody that I didn't necessarily know that well or hadn't hunted with a lot. And you always ended up competing with them. You know, you both wanted to be the one that set up and shot. Nobody wanted to be the one that that called and, you know, didn't get to put their tag on an elk. And then as I got a little older, uh, had a couple really incredible hunting partners that, you know, showed me what it was like to be on a team. And I've always been on teams in athletics, but when it comes to hunting, you know, the, the real competition is between you and the mountain or you and the elk. And it's not between you and another hunter or you and your hunting partner, especially. There's always going to be somebody that shoots a bigger animal than you every single year. Uh, you yeah. know, when it comes to your hunting partner, if you learn to work as a team and you're as excited or more excited when they're successful as you are when you're successful, not only does it increase the enjoyment of it, but it truly increases your your ability to be successful. And it's just so important, I think, to to learn that and to implement it and truly believe it to uh, to enjoy and to uh, achieve that success at the highest level. You know, I wish I could remember who it was that was telling me. And uh, but they were saying, you know, way back in the day, um, it was really hard to get to draw this tag. And and so we might be seven or eight of us all out hunting, but only one guy had the tag. And uh, but but if that person tagged out, it was like we all did. And that's really, truly what it is all about. You know, the camaraderie, the building memories, the having relationships and a lot of times you can learn more from being on a hunt with somebody and not being the one pulling the trigger than you can being the one pulling the trigger because you get to sit back and watch how they do things, how they make mistakes. Um, especially if they're a more seasoned hunter than you, uh, you get to sit back and watch, uh, when they draw, how they draw, you get to sit back and watch, uh, the movements they make. You know, if you're on a deer hunt, you get to hear, you know, how they cold call or how they rattle and, and, uh, you know, or, or, you know, how they call an elk and how they set up for an elk to come in. And so, you know, a lot of times those are the times you really, really learn because you're not focused on harvesting the animal, but you get to just sit back and watch and learn. Absolutely. Yeah. In fact, that's some of the, the greatest lessons I learned in elk hunting were actually after we filled our tags uh, back in like the late nineties, we'd go to Yellowstone and just take a video camera and go and observe elk rutting and, you know, this is an area where they aren't hunted. Uh, they aren't afraid of people. They'll do their thing right there in, in front of a crowd. And we were able to go and, and see how they interact, how they respond. You know, when one bull bugles and, and the other bulls, what do they do? What causes them to lift their head and to get excited to go to that other bull? You know, the cows, how they interact. And just seeing all of that without, like you said, the pressure of doing anything. We were just there to observe. And it didn't matter if we, you know, called an elk in if we shot an elk because we weren't doing any of that we were just there learning from it and i truly learned so many tactics and strategies that i've been able to apply to hunting just from from observing yeah we used to do that with ducks um you know i, I got to the point where I, I was a young kid trying to learn how to duck call you watch all these youtube videos and you you see how they blow the call and you, so on and so forth but then you're like i could also just go sit at the lake and hear ducks and then mimic that. Um, so, so why would I want to learn from a dude on YouTube when I can just go learn from ducks? And uh, so that's what I would do. I'd go sit at the park and uh, listen to ducks, you know, how they, how they were when they were feeding, how they were when they were, when there were other ducks flying over, what on the, what, what were the ducks on the pond doing? You know I mean? So uh, you're right, man. Um, now, before we move on, you have a huge giveaway going on, correct? <laughs> we do. Yeah. In fact, we've got, uh, multiple giveaways and, and 
different promotions coming up, but we just launched one, uh, I think yesterday, uh, the, the end of May here. So yeah, we uh, were giving away an elk hunt and it's a guided elk hunt in Colorado. And uh, we've teamed up with Mountain Ops to to give that hunt away. Now I had, I put out a Facebook, or sorry, I put out an Instagram story today um, saying recording with Corey Jacobson. If you've got any questions, let me know and I'll ask him. And uh, four different people said the only question I've got is how can I go on a hunt with him? And uh, <laughs> there's your answer, folks. Um, there's your answer. Now, how can you enter to win that? Do you got to buy from Mountain Ops? Do you got to enter a, a form? What do you got to do? So there's there's multiple ways. Uh, there's a form on the Mountain Ops website that you can just fill out and get a free entry. Uh, every order that's placed on Mountain Ops's website uh, between now and I think the I think it runs through the end of June or close to the end of June. Every order uh, gets you another entry, and then the the big promotion is the Bugleberry flavor that we teamed up with Mountain Ops and created a couple years ago. It's their most popular flavor. Uh, it sells out almost immediately every time they launch it. Uh, it's usually only in stock during like this promotion and then again in September. But if you purchase Bugleberry, uh, I believe it's another 10. I, I'm sitting here spouting off all this stuff and I'm not 100% sure, but it's, I think it's 10 more entries uh, for any Bugleberry purchase. It's actually uh, 20 entries. I just jumped on the website here. So 20 entries. And then if you sign up for the University of Elk Hunting online course, which is uh, an online course that we created at Elk 101 to uh, walk you through pretty much every aspect of elk hunting in the, you know, the end goal is to help you become more successful as an elk hunter. If you sign up for that course, uh, you get another 20 entries. So buying Bugleberry, signing up for the online course gets you uh, a whole bunch of extra entries. There you go. You want to go on elk hunt with Corey Jacobson? That's how you do it. Um, now, uh, while we're on the topic of mountain ops, I don't talk a lot of fitness and diet on my podcast. Um, just because I don't want to be one of those guys. Uh, but I did have the question sent in to me. Uh, how do you work out regimen and diet-wise? How do you stay in shape for the mountain? Yeah, and that's, you know, especially for elk hunting, it is so, so vital, I think, to uh, to enjoying the hunt, especially because elk live in rough country. They just, you know, there's very few places where you're going to go and hunt them where you aren't going to be physically tested uh, they're a very dynamic animal. They move a lot. And so it really is a, a physically demanding hunt. And I'm fortunate I live in elk country. We have elk in our yard, you know, during the winter. We very close by. We have elk in the fall that we're able to hunt. And so with that, you know, I'm able to be out there in the spring shed hunting. And we do a lot of backcountry shed hunting trips uh, where we're going back in eight or ten miles and setting up camp for two or three days on our back and then hiking this incredibly rough country and then packing the sheds out. So, you know, that's one way, but I've gotten so where I, I really try to incorporate fitness into my lifestyle. And it definitely is a, an advantage when it comes to elk hunting. But I, I really think that just the lifestyle uh, that it provides, the, the health and just you, you feel better, the joint pains, you know, at my age, I'm going to be 46 this year. And so you start recognizing, hey, I'm not as young as, as I once was. And there's pains here that didn't used to be here. Uh, <laughs> so so I really just try. I don't hit it hard. I don't try to, to bulk up. Uh, we do have a little home gym in our garage that I that I'm active uh, on. But it's it's more of just going through a lot of full body movements and lifts, not necessarily trying to bulk up, but just to keep those muscles engaged and keep everything working together uh, rather than isolating, you know, biceps that look really good in the mirror at the gym, but don't really translate to, to a lot in real life or especially in elk hunting, uh, working more on core and, and back and shoulders and legs and cardio. So, you know, I, I really try to stay active in the outdoors and not spend as, as much time in the gym, but then also recognizing the value of, of uh, hitting the gym and hitting some of the muscles that maybe you don't get to hit as actively when you're out hiking or doing different things. You do anything, uh, you do anything specific like diet wise? 
You know, not a specific. We just, you know, my wife is really good about making sure we eat healthy. Uh, I have a, a really, you know, I, I was going to say a really sweet tooth. I have a, a tooth that really likes sweets. And, uh, you know, I have to be real careful there. And I've actually just started recognizing, I mean, I've known for a long time that sugar causes inflammation and all sorts of stuff. And so I've really made a more conscious effort lately to uh, cut way back on some of that. Uh, but yeah, naturally we just eat, I would say it's probably more of a, a paleo type of a diet, just, you know, our freezer's full of wild game and we've got a big garden. And so, uh, we try to eat a lot of what we harvest and grow ourselves. That's awesome, man. That's, that's awesome. Uh, <clears throat> I asked Aaron Snyder the same question and he said, uh, he said, well, you know, I, I work out a lot. I like to be active and fit but I also really like cookies. So, you know, I just found a nice balance and, uh, and I'm like, well, you know, that's a perfect answer, but, um, no, I was just curious, man. Um, you know, a lot of people, uh, like I said, I had that question sent in to me and reason being, um, is because you look at guys and, and, uh, you know, I went on a hunt. My first kind of backcountry style hunt was with a guy and I'm not going to say his name and call him out cause I don't want him to, <laughs> to be embarrassed, but <laughs> quite a bit older than me um not not you know not 60 not not 70 years old but uh quite a bit older than me and uh just ran up the mountain and uh i'm talking running laps around me and, and i'm a uh i was a chunky little kid from from the midwest you know here in kansas if you want to go hiking you just walk around a cornfield and so i had never experienced this before and uh and you know, having a 40 pound pack on going in, you know, however many miles we went in and, uh, he was running up the mountain and I was sucking wind. And I thought to myself, uh, you know, I was probably only, um, I don't remember how old I was, but, um, I was a young enough guy to where that mountain shouldn't have been an issue. And, and when I got home from that hunt, I told myself that'll never happen again. Uh, that, that won't be the issue again. My physical abilities won't stop me from, from, from pursuing game the way I should anymore. Um, you know, I grew up an athlete. And so for me, it was almost like that. Okay, dude, you, you went to college, you gained 40 pounds at college. Now you got to get back in shape to hunt. <laughs> and, uh, so that's why I asked because you look at guys and, and, uh, you just think that that's how I need to be. You know, I need to be more active, more fit. I need to be better prepared for the mountain, um, uh, because I don't ever want, um, I don't ever want to look back and think, Lord, if I just would have been in a little bit better shape, I could have got to that ridge before that elk, you know, or, or, or whatever it may be. Uh, I don't ever want physical limitations to be what keeps me from harvesting game. Yeah. And, and especially in elk hunting, I've sat on a ridge and had an elk answer us from the canyon down below. And when we talk canyons, I mean, we're looking sometimes at 3000 vertical feet down on really steep terrain and if you shoot one down there, you've got to pack it back out. And I've stood on the edge of a canyon before and, and had a bull just screaming down below. And the person I was hunting with said, there's no way I'm dropping down there. And, you know, uh, an elk that is very vocal and screaming is pretty much saying, hey, I'm ready to be, be hunted and killed today. And to turn and walk away from something like that is, you know, that's an opportunity. Sometimes you only get once a season. And you don't ever want your, your physical conditioning yeah. to be that limiting factor because it's one of the few things that you actually have control of when it comes to, to elk hunting. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. And, uh, I grew up a little different. Um, you know, I grew up in Southern Arkansas, uh, or I grew up hunting in Southern Arkansas, I should say. And, uh, you know, I grew up hunting with uh, a bunch of fat old rednecks and uh you know they would they would sit around and, and i mean eat like kings and just gorge themselves then go sit out in tower blinds and and so growing up that was my mentality of hunting uh was just i don't want to say lazy but but lazy <laughs> that was my mentality <laughs> of hunting and uh and then growing up and and you know starting to explore more and go more places and and uh you know even even hog hunts i'm going on a hog hunt here in 2 weeks and and uh and in that one day i'll i'll put in six miles chasing hogs pretty easily um and so just just that kind of thing i'm like man i don't want my day hunting to be miserable uh because i enjoy cookies you know i i don't want my day to be miserable because i'm lazy all day at home 
And so, you know, I really grow like when I grow, grew up, that was the mindset I had um, was just good old boys sitting around a fire. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Um, that's just not the kind of hunting I want to do. And that's not the kind of hunter I want to be. Um, because I got news for you, you know, even some of my leases here in Kansas, you got to walk in a mile. Uh, well, if you're carrying a bow and camera gear and, you know, maybe a pop-up blind and a decoy, by the time you get there, you're ready to go home. You're, you're miserable. Um, and so that's just not <laughs> kind of the kind of hunter I wanted to be. And so, uh, that's the only reason I asked, man, because I, I look at guys like you and, and, uh, you know, uh, Brian call and I'm like, man, you know, their physical, their physical, um, limitations don't play as much of a role as they do for me. And so I need to, to step it up and, and, you know, cause I'm still only 28 years old and, uh, I'm like, you know, I can't let this get too far away from me. And so, yeah, that's, that's why I asked. Um, now I have gotten away from myself and I haven't even given an ad yet. Um, you guys got to go check out my friends, Easton. Um, I have been shooting now, um, the Easton axis long range out of my recurve. I'm running, uh, an ethics outsert system on the front. Um, I've got 260 out front and, uh, these things are flying like absolute darts. I've fallen in love with this arrow. And, uh, the reason I was inspired to shoot this arrow, not only Fred Eichler shoots it and, uh, and he's the man. Um, but also, uh, I was just told, um, that that arrow would, would tune really well to a recurve with heavy weight out front. And so I checked out the Eastern Axis long range and it's flying incredible out of my recurve. Um, so head over and check out the Eastern Axis Long Range. You can head over and check it out at our friend's uh, Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, they carry that arrow. Uh, so head over to a Sportsman's Warehouse and check out the Eastern Axis Long Range because it's a phenomenal arrow. Now, run me through uh, tips and tricks on boots. What do you What are you looking in a boot? What do you what, You know what kind of uh, What kind of stiffness do you like? What kind of um, what kind of insulation do you like? You know, what are you looking for in a, in a good pair of, of, and we'll, we'll just go general all around boots. Uh, cause I know, you know, most guys have different boots for different things, but if you're looking for one pair of boots, a do all boot, um, this question was sent in to us. Um, and they just want to know what you look for in a pair of all around boots. Yeah, no. And boots are probably the hardest thing to, to recommend because everybody's foot is shaped differently. And I'm, I'm, uh, I, I have the hardest time finding a pair of boots that'll fit my foot. You know, there's a lot of quality boots up there. There's a lot of quality brands, but it's important to find one that fits your foot, uh, first and foremost, because it doesn't matter if it's insulated. It doesn't matter how much, uh, stiffness and support it has. It doesn't matter how comfortable the, the, uh, insole is if it doesn't fit to your foot and if, you know, I have a kind of skinnier heels and skinny ankles and then a little bigger calf. And so my heel slides quite a bit. So finding one that locks my heel in is, is important. Uh, I also have a little bit of a wider foot. And so, uh, you know, some boots are a little narrower. So I put my feet in a narrow boot and, and clamp it down and my feet go to sleep immediately. And so it is important to, to find the one that fits you. With that being said, uh, you know, when, when you're elk hunting, you're on steep ground. You're very rarely walking on flat ground. So support is important. But at the same time, I don't want a boot that's going to be like a ski boot that, you know, I can't maneuver or, or be flexible in. So it's a kind of a balance there to make sure that when I'm packing a heavy load, uh, I'm going to have good support for my ankles. But at the same time, I'm going to be able to, to be quick and nimble as I'm chasing elk up and down the mountain. Uh, lightweight is, is important, but sometimes it's hard to get a good quality boot, uh, that incorporates a, a good amount of support while still being, you know, ultra light. So you're going to have to, you have to recognize, Hey, I've got to, got to sacrifice a little bit of weight to get a good boot. Uh, waterproof is hands down. No question. Can't be compromised on that. It's got to be waterproof. Uh, and so those are kind of the, the things I look at. Number one, does it fit me? Number two, is it going to support heavy loads? Uh, number three, is it going to be lightweight enough that I can hike 15 or 16 miles in rugged terrain in it? And, you know, obviously I'm going to be tired, but if uh, a boot weighs one pound versus one pound and 12 ounces, there's going to be a difference. And then when it comes to insulation, I don't hunt in an insulated boot unless I get into 
like November, December type hunts where there's going to be snow every day uh, and cold temperatures, you know, below zero, pretty much maintained throughout the day. If it's getting above freezing and, and there's just spotty snow or a chance of snow on a day or two, uh, I don't hunt in a in an insulated boot. Now, that being said, what boot do you run? So I run the Zamberlin, uh, Zamberlin Vias. Uh, it's a 996. And I've actually, you know, it's it's been the boot I've ran for probably 10 years now. And it was just one of the boots that I put on. And I've tried, I mean, I have literally tried just about every brand of hunting boot and not taking anything away from, from almost any of them because they're all quality boots. But when I put that boot on, uh, it felt like a glove on my foot and hardly any breaking period for me. And I put hundreds and hundreds of miles on them a year. And I don't think I've ever gotten a blister from them. Now I was, uh, I had heard of Zomberlin and, you know, I had never seen them, never felt them, never, um, you know, I just never had. And, uh, and last time I was at sportsman's warehouse, they had some, and I was like, well, I got to try them on. You know, I've heard good things about them. I've seen good things about them. Uh, so I put them on, laced them up. They were incredibly comfortable. They really were. Uh, I was impressed by them. Uh, I personally, I'm a huge fan of Schnee's. Um, They fit my yeah. feet really well. Um, I, I really did. I loved the Outlook Evo and uh, went to order a new pair of them. And they said, hey, man, they've been discontinued. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. You guys are worthless. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so I went into <laughs> I went into the I went into the Kestrels, um, uh, and and you know both of those boots. If you look them up, really lightweight, uh, really low um, on the stiffness scale. Uh, they're not super stiff, and I just don't like a super stiff boot. Um, so both of those are really lightweight. Both of those are uninsulated. Both of those are, are really not a stiff boot. Um, and, and reason why I don't like stiff is because, again, I told you I'm here in Kansas. Um, and so, you know, 90% of what I'm hunting is flat ground, crop ground. So I'm like, well, if I get a stiff pair of boots, it's not going to be comfortable. Um, so, but yeah. then there's enough to where, you know, if I head to, to Idaho on a spring bear hunt or, or Colorado for an elk hunt, uh, then I'll survive. And so uh, those are both the, the kind of boots I switch between right now. Um, but yeah, I did. I, I, I uh, saw Zamberlin's the other day at, at uh, I think I was in Colorado Springs at the Sportsman's Warehouse there, and uh, I was impressed. They were comfortable. Um, now run me through some tips, uh, like your number one tip you give people when it comes to packs. Um, you know, maybe your number one tip is, you know, how to pack a pack or how to load a pack or fit a pack. Um, but what's your number one tip when it comes to packs? So for me, I, I spent a lot of years uh, trying to find the right elk hunting pack, and there wasn't one. That, that was a conclusion I came to. Uh, so I would hunt in a day pack that I could carry my gear for the day. You notice a smaller 12 to 15 pounds with everything in it, including the pack. And then when I shot an elk, you know, I'd bring out just a small load of meat in that pack, maybe the back straps or a front shoulder or something. And it was miserable. You know, the pack was not made for carrying more than 15 or 20 pounds. And then I'd get back to the truck and I'd get my frame pack and go back in and, you know, the, the bigger freighter pack that's made for hauling a load. But it's certainly not something you're going to hike around and hunt in. They're just they're rigid. Uh, they usually don't have a bag on them. And so forever, that was kind of my, my system. And I always said, I need a pack that'll just do it all. One that's light enough that can be compacted down and day hunt in it so you don't feel like you're carrying a, a bulky pack. But then one that you can throw a, a hind quarter or a half an elk on and pack out and be somewhat comfortable. And, you know, probably eight or ten years ago, couple companies started trying going down that that route and they were still eight or ten pound packs uh they they still weren't comfortable with 100 pounds on them you know they the the shoulder straps weren't good they just weren't made to do both things and then here about five or six years ago the tides kind of turned and there's four or five companies now making what i call a, a crossover pack and that's something that's probably going to be 1800 to 2800 cubic inches uh, it's going to compact down super small it's going to weigh four to five pounds you can day hunt in it uh, you know with just 12 or 15 pounds of gear 
And then when you kill an elk, you're literally able to throw 120 or 140 pounds, half of an elk on it. And the, the, the weak link is no longer the pack. The weak link is now me. And uh, so that's, that's kind of where I've ended up. And I think really for elk hunting is the most efficient system is finding a crossover pack that allows you to go fast and light, but then turns around, you know, in the same step and, and throws half an elk on it and allows you to pack it out. Now, uh, I'll tell you, that is one thing. Um, so I, I recently came in contact with Initial Ascent. Have you seen those guys? I have. Yep. I recently came in contact with those guys. And what I really like about them is uh, the frames are all the same, and then you can change out the bag. Um, so so what I found super interesting and useful was, you know, to go in, like you're talking, you can you can put the, the – uh, well, let me just get the names up, but I think it's like the 2000. Um, you can put on the smaller bag and have it for a day pack. Uh, but then once you, uh, you know, once you harvest an animal, you can go out and you don't have to change frames and everything. Uh, but you can simply, you know, just switch bags that's on your, on your frame. Uh, so you can go with like the A, A, I, A, 2K, um, for, for just your day pack while you're out hunting. Uh, but then, you know, once you harvest an animal, you can come back and just put a meat loader on that pack or, or on that frame, or you can put, you know, the IA 6K bag on that frame. And so I thought that to be really cool um, and, and, you know, a way to not have to buy, you know, different packs, um, different different kits, but but rather just different bags for the same frame. And so I thought that to be really interesting. What, what pack do you run? Uh, I use the EXO, EXO, so EXO Mountain Gear. And very similar, they have a, a super lightweight titanium frame, and then you can interchange different bag sizes. But the cool design on, on theirs, the thing I really like is the meat actually goes between the bag and the frame. So the, the bag unattaches from the frame, and you can slide two quarters between the frame and the bag. So you can still have all your day hunting gear in the bag, protected from the blood and everything, and without having to switch anything out, you just put those quarters in there. They have a little crib, super lightweight crib that holds the quarters up uh, from sliding out between the two and then strap it down and, and go. Yeah. I, uh, Steve Speck over there. Um, yep. That's actually, so one of the guys that works for him uh, was the guy I told the story about running up the mountain and I was sucking wind. <laughs> um, oh, really? And so I remember, <laughs> I remember coming back to like the SNS store there and, uh, and, you know, Steve saying, well, how'd your hunt go, boys? And I'm like, well, for him, it was fine. But for me, like the first 10 minutes in, I couldn't breathe. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, I was actually one of, one of the guys that works there for him at SNS um, that, that blew, blew up the mountain and I was left in the dust sucking wind. <laughs> but I'll tell you, though, that's where I learned. Um, that was the lesson that I took away from that hunt. Um said, man, this guy's got a good quality pair of boots on and his feet don't hurt. And this guy has a good quality pack and he can move faster. His back doesn't hurt. You know, he doesn't have to spend 10 minutes every three hours adjusting his pack and trying to get it to, to hold better and fit better. And so I walked away from that hunt thinking, as soon as I get home, I'm getting good boots and I'm getting a good pack. Yep. No, very important. And, you know, and I think it's, it's something that gets overlooked, but you have your backpack on your back every waking hour of the day when you're elk hunting. You, you know, you're hiking and it's usually got some some sort of a load. I try to keep mine around 16 to 20 pounds for a day pack. You know, and that includes my food, my water, uh, a rain jacket, all the tools that I need for when we're you know successful. Our kill kit uh, has everything I need to hunt. Everything's in there. So you're carrying, you know, 20 pounds, and that's probably on the lighter end of, of what most people are going to carry, but you're doing it all day. And if uh, if you don't have a comfortable pack, man, your shoulders and your hip flexors and everything after two or three days are going to say, hey, let's take a day or two off here. And the difference in when you have a comfortable pack is you're able to, to keep going day after day. And then, you know, it, when you're successful, that's a that's a chore you're you're hauling heavy heavy loads out of the woods and if there's two or three of us with tags we haul one out and the next morning we're up and hunting again and we might shoot another one that day and, and have to pack it out so a pack is definitely it's it's worth finding something that you've proven that you know is going to be comfortable and and that's going to allow you to hunt the way that you want to hunt 
Yeah. No, those are the, the three things. Um, there's a lot of things that you can skimp out on um, and, and find cheaper and, and, you know, cut corners on. But I learned very, very quickly, boots, pack, and base layers. If those three things are good, you'll be fine. Um, you know, if those three things are high quality and function well, then you'll be comfortable, you'll get by, and and the hunt will be good. Um, but if you try to skip out on those things, uh, you'll be miserable. You know, your back or, your back will hurt, your feet will hurt, and get hot spots and blisters. Um, so I always encourage people to not skimp out on boots, packs, or base layers. Um, now, what is your number one tip for, and maybe you can answer this, um, for people who don't live in the mountains, What's your number one tip for practicing shooting elevation, you know, up and down? Man, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, it's probably something I take for granted because we do live, uh, our house is on a steep hill. So I could literally go out on my deck and, and get a steep angle shooting right off of it down the hill. Uh, you know, I, I think number one, you know, your, your third axis on your side is super important when you start shooting a little bit of distance and especially on steep ground, making sure that your your bow staying level is important uh, as far as practicing i mean i've seen people get on their roof of their house and just shoot 20 yards or 30 yards down uh you know any any kind of an elevation is going to simulate that i think what's more important is just shooting and shooting and shooting so that that muscle memory is there so that when you draw back because when an elk stand in front of you bugling at 20 yards, I've seen people literally shoot over the top of an elk at 12 yards. And you're sitting there going, there's a vital on that thing that's 18 inches by, you know, 14 inches or something. All you have to do is point at 10 or 12 yards. And I've watched people draw back. Their, their bowstring is three inches away from their nose out on the side of their face. They aren't even looking through their sight pins. They're just looking at the elk. They just draw back and go through the motion of shooting and so just repetitive shooting over and over and over. So you have that muscle memory. So your anchor point, you come back to the exact right place. Your, you know, your nose is on the string. You're looking through the peep and looking through the sight housing. You know, all of that's so important. And then the, the follow through on the shot, the squeezing, the release, all of those things. When that becomes automatic and natural, it just takes so many of the other elements out of, out of what could cause you to miss or, or even worse wound the animal so i think that's probably the most important part of it because man you talk about buck fever if there's a there is nothing i've found that will induce a shot of adrenaline like having an elk standing in front of you bugling when you're at full draw so you know the elevation the up and down shooting i think uh that you know you can you can compensate for that. Rangefinders will tell you what to shoot the distance for, all of those things. But there's there's nothing that's going to help you overcome that fever when a, an elk standing in front of you screaming. Yeah, I. Uh, so what I recently did, and this is this is how I uh, came up with an idea of how to practice elevation. Uh, just recently got a new deck built at our house, and uh, the contractor showed up. And day one, my wife was telling him, you know, I want to be this color, and and I want the hand railing to be this color and, you know, whatever, and the stairs to go this way and all that good stuff. <clears throat> and I stopped him. I said, listen, she can tell you whatever she wants to tell you. All I want is in one corner of the deck for there to be a platform built up. Um, you know, my deck was already six foot high. So I'm like, if you could go up another six foot, uh, then I can at least practice in my backyard slopes. Pretty, pretty good. And so I thought, well, if, I'm already six foot and you can get me a six foot platform. Uh, I'll be shooting 12 foot and I'll be shooting even into my d downhill backyard. And so that's what I did. And uh, my wife's like, are you kidding me? Uh, you're building this on our deck and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, you know, sorry. Uh, but that's how I did it. And listen, <laughs> I understand if you're listening and you're like, well, I'm not going to go build a new deck just so I can get a, a shooting platform. You don't have to, uh, you know, if you have an existing deck, um, Put a chair up there. Put a put a a table or a stool or a, a step ladder or whatever. Uh, but just find some way to get up there a bit and practice shooting, shooting down, uh, shooting up. I mean, just find some way to do it. I also before that was built, I used to go to our local dam, uh, which I'm sure the the fine men at the Wellington Police Department 
would not approve of this. Uh, but I used to go to our city dam and I would put a target you know, halfway up the dam and I would shoot up at it. And then I would go halfway up the dam and shoot down at it. And, uh, and that's what I would do in the mornings, early in the mornings. That way cops weren't there. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I did do it early in the mornings. Um, mainly because that's where I hike is at the dam. Cause that's the only place I can get elevation. But that's what I would do. So, so be creative, find a way to practice, find a way to do things. But also, um, you know, I just want to emphasize what Corey said, have yourself a good shot process and work through that shot process every time. Um, you know, whether it's with a recurve or, or a compound, have yourself mental triggers. Um, you know, my mental trigger with my recurve, uh, and I put out a video not too long ago on Bear Archer's YouTube of this, um, is grip. And I think about my hand on the, on the grip of the bow. And then I think hook and I put my hook on the string, uh, my grip on the string. Um, I draw back, I come to anchor and that's the next, you know, verbal cue in my mind and then back and I kind of rotate my shoulder back into my back and then spot and I pick a spot on the target and then pull, 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 and then it releases. And if I'm working my mind through that every shot um, and not skipping out on steps and just rushing through a shot, but if I work that every time, um, then even when I'm in different situations and I continue to work through that, uh, you'll be a lot more successful. So find yourself a good shot process, have mental cues that you can work through. And, uh, and then when you get into different situations, shooting up, shooting down, if you're so used to running through that in your mind, then you'll still work through your shot process and actually and execute a good shot. Um, before we go, what is your number one, uh, you know, Fred bear was big on his field notes. Um, so what's your number one, uh, field note concerning elk hunting that you've taken over the years and, uh, you know, put in your back pocket and made yourself a better hunter with. You know, I'll mention two because one, the first one I'm going to mention hopefully is is obvious, but I think it's something that does get overlooked and maybe isn't recognized for how important it should be, and that's the wind. Uh, an elk lives and dies by its nose, and every movement they make is based around the, the wind. And in the West, in the mountains, we have thermals. And I, I know a lot of Midwestern and uh, Eastern hunters aren't necessarily familiar with the concept of thermals or how they work in the mountains. And so just understanding that, you know, the, in the morning, your, your thermals are typically coming down the mountain, middle of the day, they're going up and just planning your approach as you go in to move in on an elk, you've got to recognize what the thermals are doing more so than the wind. We don't necessarily always have like a prevailing wind out of the West or something. It's more of a mountain thermal. So understanding how that works is, is going to be critical. I think when it comes to to archery hunting, you're primarily hunting the rut, and that lends itself to calling, which is my favorite part of elk hunting. And so many people get caught up in the, the calling uh, strategies or tactics, and they get confused or overwhelmed. And the way I break it down is really simple. It keeps it simple. There's only a couple calls and sounds you need to be able to make to efficiently call in elk and understanding that you don't have to understand an, an entire language because there's, there's some that, um, some people that, that teach the full elk language. And it's almost like trying to learn a foreign language. Just, you know, what did the elk just say? What do I need to say back? And understanding all of that. And I break it down to an elk is going to respond based on their emotion more so than on a language that you speak. And so understanding what emotion you need to trigger in the elk to elicit the response and the reaction that you want to get out of it is going to be critical. And that is a bull elk in September is going to respond to his desire to breed or his desire to fight. So all you really need to do when you're calling an elk is either convince him that you're a cow that's ready to be bred or that you're a bull that, that wants to fight and you've got to convince him to fight. And so learning to put that emotion to solicit those responses or to elicit those responses uh, from the elk is probably the, the number one thing that I would say if you're going elk hunting and you want to call in an elk uh, and you want to have the most confidence going into that, simplify it and, and use that approach. So you've either got to sweet talk them or you've got to, to, to uh, trash talk them. Yep, that's it exactly. Yeah, and you just, you look at, you know, and I relate it to, to humans. And when you're a college guy, you know, 
ramped up full of testosterone. If there's somebody 400 yards away from you and you kind of mumble under your breath in a non-threatening way, man, I really don't like that guy. Nothing's probably going to happen. But you walk around the corner and you bump noses with a guy and you start screaming and belittling him in front of his girlfriend right there and telling him what a loser he is and, you know, really trash talking him. There's probably going to be some some fists thrown there and elk are the same way. If you if you're 400 yards away and you're just giving them a a very stale sounding bugle, they're going to be like, yeah, whatever. But you get in close into their zone, you know, 100 or 150 yards from them and you insult them and you threaten them and you challenge them, there's very few elk that, that aren't going to come running in looking for that fight. And, you know, it's, it's just that emotion that you put into it. You have to scream at him. You have to let him know, I am mad and I'm, I want to do something about this. I want to settle this. And one of the other things that I always, you know, make sure people understand is important is you never want to throw out that first bugle as a challenge. So you don't want to be 120 yards away and scream this challenge at a bull, I always start with a cow call, get the bull to answer the cow call. And when he answers cow call, he's basically saying to the cow, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a bull, you're a cow, it's that time of year, why don't you come hang out with me? And then that's when I hit him with the challenge. So he's sweet talking this cow all of a sudden and doesn't realize I'm there. I challenge him, I insult him. And just that combination of me extending the challenge to him, close into him, you know, it just, it, it flips a switch there and trips a trigger that it's a lot of fun. And uh, a lot of times it happens fast from there. Those elk come in with fire in their eyes and slobbering out of their, their mouth and their nose and they're looking for a fight. Yeah. Now I do have one more question for you. Uh, but before that, let me give a quick thank you to my friends over at Bonning. Uh, Bonning makes all of your all of your arrow building tools, but also all of your components to build your arrows. Uh, so whether you need wraps or fletchings, uh, whatever you need, um, they've got it. So go check out Bonding. They also have some really cool Fredbear uh, branded wraps. Um, I just just the other day uh, fletched up some arrows with the Fredbear flannel, and I threw some red and silver fletchings on them. They look awesome. They look incredible. So go check out Bonding Archery uh, for all of your arrow building uh, tools and all of your arrow building components. Um, now, I did just get a question sent in just in the nick of time. Um, what all do you carry in your binocular harness? <laughs> so I, until about a year ago, didn't use a binocular harness. I just used uh, the straps on on the binoculars. That's all I had. But I uh, I did convert over and have found benefit in it. But I uh, if I'm shed hunting in the spring, I'll have my my bino harness, the main harness in the center, and then a pouch on each side. And on one side I carry a, a radio, a two way radio. The other side I carry uh, my snacks. When I'm archery hunting, I take one off uh, just so that it's not I just feel like it's uh, less interference with potential interference with the string. Uh, but I carry my binoculars in the center part, and then I carry snacks in the other part. I carry my rangefinder in a, a waist belt in the a hip pocket on the waist belt on the right-hand side. I like your answer of snacks. That's the best answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think of it like this. Got to have food. My- yeah. When I think of my binocular harness, and I, I you know, I do run um, maybe a, b- a bigger binocular harness, more space, more pockets. Um, I run an Alaska Guide Creations harness, and uh, when I think of my harness, what I think of is if I drop my pack here to make a stock, do I have everything in this harness that I need, and not not need to survive a month, not need to even stay the night, but you know, an extra little hat clip for your or a light clip for your hat uh, a, a little knife at least you know um just enough to where if anything happens i can survive um you know maybe it's a uh i always got chapstick man i'm a chapstick fiend uh but then i always think back to like okay i want a little bitty knife at least um usually it's like a lightweight you know your backcountry style knives whatever brand it might be um my range finder, um, a lighter, probably, um, 
but yeah, I just think of that as if I, if I drop my pack here to make a stock or or whatever it might be, um, do I have everything here to at least get by? And uh, that's kind of how I think of my binocular harness. Uh, it's not necessarily what I want to get too quick, um, but but more so, if things go south, can I get by with just this? Um, and that's that's kind of how I think of it. You know, I know some guys are different, and of course, if I'm in the whitetail woods, that's completely different. Uh, I might have some face paint and and snacks and and uh, you know my cell phone or whatever. But if I'm on a western style hunt, that's the way I look at that. Is uh, if I drop my pack here, do I have everything on my chest I need? Um, so before we go, where can they find you on Instagram? Uh, just uh, Corey Jacobson dot Elk One Hundred One. As my personal Instagram, and then Elk101 on Instagram is our business page. Uh, and that's, you know, Elk101, we're pretty active there. I'm kind of hit and miss on my personal one, but share a lot more outside of uh, elk hunting because we do, you know, we chase just about everything out here in the West. And so share some of that on my personal page. Are you on Facebook? Uh, yes, but not as active. <laughs> so Elk 101 is on Facebook, just uh, Elk 101. And uh, I usually just share my Instagram posts over to my personal Facebook, which is Corey Jacobson Elk Hunter. Awesome. Go follow him. Go, go, go check out Elk101.com if you have not, uh, because it is a, it is a awesome place to, to, to gather information and to learn and grow as an elk hunter. Uh, Corey, Thank you so much for coming on, man. Thank you so much for what you do and helping to teach and inspire and, and train up a new generation of hunters. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it because I'm one of those guys that that get to um, that get to grow and learn from it. Absolutely, no, and thank you for that. And thanks for uh, inviting me to, to come on the podcast and share some of my passion for elk. And guys, go get entered into that giveaway. If you want to go elk hunting with Corey Jacobson, this is your shot. Go get in there to win it. Um, go buy you some product. Go buy you an informational course. Both things will help you in the long run anyhow. So you're only going to better yourself, and you'll win a chance to go elk hunting with Corey Jacobson in the meantime. So, guys, thanks for listening. You guys have a great week. Peace.